Welcome to this week's episode where I welcome Monica Oslander, who is a registered dietitian and lead and founder of Essence Nutrition and is on Instagram as Eat Like Monica. And we're going to be talking today all about how to be a more conscious food shopper for your family and how to understand food labels a little bit better. Thank you for joining me today, Monica. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. I connected with you on Instagram, I would say probably almost a year ago. Um, and we both have boys around the same age. You live about 40 miles from me, but we haven't seen each other yet because of the pandemic. And I love your page, Eat Like Monica, so much. You keep it so real in terms of, you know, being a mom and the foods that you provide for your family. And I can't wait to talk about this today. Tell me what led you to find Essence Nutrition. So um, just to be a dietitian in the first place, you know, 16, 15 years ago, when I chose the career, it wasn't cool or trendy to be in food. It was pretty much like a hardcore science. And it was a pre-med major, which initially kind of scared me off. So I was actually a linguistics major, a French minor, a teaching English as a second language minor, I was going to move to France and have these big dreams. But then you know, 2008 recession, and I'm like, okay, well, food is magic, because I also was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was a teenager, I had to do a lot with diet. And you know, I was like, hmm, food is more than just like the 100 calorie froyo that I get every weekend in my cool little car. So I was like, wait a second, the more I, I dove into it, I wanted to inspire and foster a reverence and respect and excitement about food that I had. And then as the years went on, and I got my master's, I worked at um, Jackson Memorial Hospital, which is our county's like large inpatient um, academic hospital where University of Miami trains. And that was awesome and fun. I was actually exclusively a pediatric dietitian inpatient. But after a while, I thought to myself, I think I can do more for people in the outpatient world. So it was just me at first. And now there's 10 other dietitians all in Florida. And it's been really fun. And you see all ages, right? Or do you see mostly adults or children? Or what's the age demographic? Zero to a thousand, if you can make it. <laughs> wow. Good wow. luck. Awesome. <laughs> That's so great. Well, no, I'm so excited. I ever since I connected with you, it's just nice also to be able to have the contact for any of my patients that need any assistance. So this is so great. But I know, you know, we talked about what we should discuss on this episode. And we came up with this topic among many other topics that we had. To, uh, so I'm so sorry. I'm like fumbling over. I'm going to re-edit this. So I'm like, so yeah. There's so much that we cross pollinate and agree on. I think we could probably have a weekly podcast between us. So this is let's call this our inaugural topic together. Yeah, I'm so excited because there is so much that we can go over as a pediatrician and dietitian. But tell me why this topic is important to you. So it was important to me before I, I used to go to the grocery store and that past imperfect tense of grammar. Um, I haven't been since March. And I used to take such joy and interest in inspecting the food landscape of what was offered. And I always, whenever I used to travel, go to a grocery store in the foreign country or city in which I I, I was in, not to, to buy food necessarily, although that usually was a, a side effect, but to study and understand what is marketed as far as food and what's provided and what's available and, and how foods are marketed and labeled, especially to, to specific populations like children, like elderly adults. So now as a new mom, you know, even though I'm not physically in the grocery store anymore, 
I'm I'm kind of cringing at what I see in the food landscape, both on and off the shelves, because off shelves is how we teach our children and our you know friends, children by osmosis. And then on the shelf, we also are, are learning and, and communicating through what we see in labels. And now, of course, what I'm seeing amongst my own friends as I start to get together with their children, my, my son is in school now, his classmates, I have a lot of concerns. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You mentioned the marketing that's done in other countries, but also in America. What are your concerns about the marketing, especially for children? I'm concerned that the overall climate surrounding food, um, especially when it pertains to food, you know, labels and on shelves is being, what's being communicated is that what a child or an adolescent, anyone, you know, under 21 technically has to eat has to be quote kid friendly. You know, it has to have these bombastic characters and colors and therefore it has to either be completely devoid of flavor you know plain plain pasta no spices or it has to be swaddled and and avalanched in sugar or salt or it has to be portioned really strictly like oh it's a kid's yogurt so it's three ounces and I'm like this is a yogurt for ants you know and that the food has to be fun there has to be smiley faces all over it and I take a little and I offense to this and I prickle at this because I don't know if that's how we grew up with food obviously Obviously, yes, there was food marketing to some extent in the 90s. But for me, you know, I was always taught that this is food and we celebrate it. And, you know, an apple and a cheese stick isn't necessarily fun and dramatic and ostentatious, but it's delicious and we should be lucky that we have it. And I'm also concerned that this creates a lot of parental stress um, in the parenting community that what you serve your child has to be cut into perfect replications of Stonehenge and Instagram worthy or about. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think there is such a, there is a modern parenting stress based on what they're seeing on social media or hearing what their friends are doing. And then there is just a lot of food shaming that goes into this. Well, you can't do this or you should do this. And I, the purpose of this episode is just for people to understand how to look at those labels with the understanding that, hey, there is a lot of marketing. Like you said, the colorful pictures, the four kids, um, you know, everything is kind of marketed that way for a reason so that you'll buy it and pick it up thinking that this may be the best choice. I think one of the examples I talked to you about is yogurt. Like there's so much yogurt marketing for kids when in reality, children can eat our yogurt that probably has less sugar. Right. I call it, it's funny. I, in the fridge, like when I'm, my husband's like, can I eat this? I'm like, okay, the, the people food is over here. Like, you know, <laughs> like dog food. So the only yogurt, you know, I, I compare a lot to France because that's where I studied abroad. I know you're a fan of bringing up Bebe. And I actually read that book when it came out, you know, and I was nowhere near childbearing years back when that came out. And I thought, I agree. Why is this even a thing? Like this is also intuitive to me. In France, there's like three types of yogurt. There's, you know, the full fat and the full fat from the goat and the full fat, you know, over here. And there's no flavors. And and it's like, you know, I when I teach, I, I do a lot of um, wellness and well, I used to when there was a lot more school for students and parents and faculty. And I ask the children what colors the milk that comes out of the cow and they say white. And I'm like, well, then why is your yogurt pink? And they're like, I'm like yeah, me neither. So the yo- yeah, full fat, Greek, plain, whole milk yogurt in the absence of cow's milk protein allergy or lactose intolerance is, is wildly appropriate. And maybe it's not fun, but I mean, my 13 month old eats it with gusto because he's never known anything different. Right. And I think that's the big thing here is that I want parents to know that they can give the foods that we're eating, which is what should be happening. Meaning if we're eating Greek yogurt, your child can have Greek yogurt. They don't need the one that has the the fruit mixed in. I mean, yes, if that's for convenience, fine. We'll get into this. But you can add 
the fruit later, which doesn't take up too much more time to mash some pe um, some peaches or mash some fruit. I, I That's what we've been doing. So it's really these small things that we do, which I think parents get suckered into, well, this is a convenient thing that other people are doing also, when in reality, the alternative is actually not that inconvenient. It's actually not very inconvenient to mash up fruit. I, I was going to say the argument for convenience is so relative. I think it's more people have such anxiety, like he's not going to like that because, you know, I grew up on that, that's uh, the candy and the yogurt. It's delicious. But so if you gave me that first and then presented me with the full fat plain Greek, I would be like, uh, no. So I think we impart on parental anxiety of, oh, he's not going to eat that. It's that's gross. That's so spicy. That's so, you know, sophisticated. He'll never eat that. But in preschool in France, they eat pate. And, you know, like I, I honeymoon in Japan. I know there are babies eating sushi and uni and things like that. So it's all cultural, relative. And, you know, like we said, a lot of marketing. And one food, one one dinner, I mean, one food, one family, one dinner, you know, even in the dog, everybody eats the same in the absence of food allergies or, you know, other other needs. You don't need to be, you know, oh, it's the adult yogurt and the child yogurt. Like you should be eating the plain yogurt too. I love that a lot of your understanding of this comes from going to other countries because I, I saw the same thing happen in Japan and other countries that we've traveled to, which actually helped me a lot in my parenting, not just for food, but in other things as well, how we manage tantrums, how children are using screens. Like you go to other countries and you realize that our American culture has become so, it has become so ingrained that we have to do this because this is what is the easiest when, like we said, it's not. And our children can eat what we're eating. The, and the worry I have is like going into the yogurt marketing, right? We talk about it as all the stuff that's marketed for children tends to load the sugar because children will eat it. So you're right that the parents get into the cycle. Well, they ate it because it's yummy. I promise you that with proper exposure and repetitive exposure, your child will eat the yogurt that you eat. Your child will eventually maybe smell or touch the food that you are eating too, may not gobble it down because everyone has preferences, but it is all about exposure. Like you said, pate, sushi, Ryan eats Indian food, Thai food, Mexican food, he eats everything because we just put it in front of him and say, hey, have the spice, have the flavors. There is just such a fear of flavors. And there's such a fear of like, hey, well, we can't have this. It's just a baby. And I think that's a misconception a lot in American in American nutrition. I love all of your Indian foods that, you know, you and your mother have, and I think your father have been making. And it's, it's just, I'm like, thank you. Because, you know, there's no reason a six-month-old can't have paprika or can't have turmeric. You know, as long as they don't, you know, you don't overdo it and then they like choke the seed of it. But, you know, it's, I mean, I, my mom is from Israel. Like imagine a, a little, a little six month old, they're not eating, you know, za'atar and all of these, you know, quote, weird flavors, but they're weird to us because we're American and it's cultural, very bland. But my problem with that is not that there's, you know, I mean, you're missing the anti-inflammatory magic of the spices, but, you know, I think it's very confusing to children, you know, okay, here's your kid's food and your dino nuggets. And then you turn 12, you no longer are eligible for the kid menu. Enjoy your on you salad with this fig reduction. <laughs> yeah. They're like, but, but, but my hot dogs, you know? So yeah. then, oh, he's a picky eater. No, he's not, you know? So it's, it's all about conditioning. And like you said, exposure, 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 and the whole family and the behavior and your 
verbal and nonverbal communications, um, you know, surrounding mealtime and meals. Oh yeah. We could talk about picky eating on a whole different episode, but it really comes down, like you said, to how we react to the food. Um, and also the, like you said earlier, the fear that we put in, right? There's that misconception that, well, my child won't eat this. So I have to do the one that's marketed towards children because that's yummy and they'll eat it. No, if you go into it like that, then they won't eat anything They're You're going to worry and they're going to, they're going to sense that. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood explains in your podcast app that's understood explains warmer sunnier days are calling fuel up for them with factors no prep no mess meals chef crafted meals with options like calorie smart protein plus and keto factors fresh never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week you'll always have new flavors to explore crush your wellness goals this may with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust i absolutely love the spicy jalapeno lime cheddar chicken and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 and use code pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code pedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash pedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. How old is your son? He is 13 and a half. He's one day younger than Ryan. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm sure you, you see that obviously that there is some, um, ex, you know, the, the need for exposure and your son's not going to want to eat everything all the time, but you're going to kind of have that understanding that I'm not going to panic if they say no to something. Um, yeah. I mean, the only thing he ever actually spit out was hearts of palm, which is funny because my husband's Colombian and that's like a very big staple. But, you know, the 10th time I put it in front of him, he ate it. I think it was a texture thing. Like he will eat raw radishes with cottage cheese as a snack every single day. And, you know, I don't even like raw radishes. Like that's so bitter. But he doesn't know, you know, he doesn't think it's weird. He thinks they're pink and they're crunchy and, you know, a little lemon pepper on it. And I'm sure his preschool teacher is like, what on earth is going on here? But, you know, then I'm going to have a five-year-old who I can give a radish while I'm cooking and say, here, occupy yourself, you know, instead of, oh, you know, here's a poucher or whatever. Yeah. And I think, again, one of the questions we're going to go into is how to balance that sort of, I'm going to call it convenient food, right? Like the pouches and things like that and incorporating that into our 
everyday life because those things can have benefit. But before we go there, how can a family approach reading food labels? I know there's, it's probably a loaded question, but where would you start when you go into the store and you look at all the items available? So you don't have to be a dietitian to read food labels and you you shouldn't be afraid, you know, because the, the FDA keeps us safe. You know, you're not going to do anything toxic except, as you know, no honey for infants under under one and choking stuff. So I would take a step back and ask yourself globally, what is this? So you're holding this in your hand and you're like, oh, I'm looking at the fat and the calories. Yeah, but what is it? Okay, so there, there are plantains, right? Is that a plant? Where did that grow? How did it grow? How was it harvested? Who picked it? How did it transport? How did, you know, was there a contribution? contribution to the economy or human life involved? You know, how does it taste? Is it affordable? Do I actually like this? Does my family like it? Is it affordable? And then go, okay, yes, no, yes, no. And I hardly ever read the nutrition facts. I want to go into that in a second because they're changing. I really only read the ingredients because holistically and globally, that's what's more important to me. Like what is in here? You know, so read them not with fear, but kind of with that little skeptical monocle, like the Monopoly man has that little, his monocle, his little one eye glass. Hmm, what am I eating here? And then evaluate it with empathy, but also a little bit, bit of skepticism. So I ignore all the splashy labels of gluten-free, high in iron. Like I'll make that determination. Thank you very much label. And then if like, let's say you're, you're going to eat some hazelnut chocolate almond butter, right? Okay. Sounds good. And you turn it over and you see the only ingredients are hazelnuts, a little salt, oil, and cacao powder. You're like, okay, like that's great. Plant, plant, nut, plant, get it. But if you turn it over and you see sugar or even something, you know, sugar has like 48 names. Um, you know, you see invert organic molasses and you're like, Ooh, that sounds good. But then, then you might migrate over to the nutrition labels and see 38 grams of sugar a serving. And you're like, well, is that a lot? Just keep in mind when it comes to sugar that four grams is a teaspoon and four grams otherwise known as a teaspoon is also like a packet of sugar, like you, what you would put like in your coffee. So if you do the math and there's 38 grams, like that's a lot of teaspoons of sugar. But if it's like eight, you know, maybe don't get, get so, so, so excited. And if it's naturally occurring, meaning like yogurts and dairy will have naturally occurring sugars from lactose, you know, it's not added, like on the label, it won't have an added sugar description, you know, a description, you're fine. So, you know, I do want to go, let me know if you want to go into the nutrition facts label, because I do want to um, communicate how that has changed and actually in the last year. Oh, yeah, I would love to. I think your comment is completely valid. And I love that you're bringing this up because I think parents don't know about this. And it's actually like the milk, right? Like if you go and look at milk nutrition labels, there is sugar in there. But of course, it's from the lactose. So that's different than going to the aisles and getting a bar that has 38 grams of sugar, right? That's added sugars that are not naturally occurring. Like you mentioned, a huge distinction. I'm so glad you brought that up. The other question I get asked before we go into diving into the nutrition labels more is what about salt, like sodium? Do you look at that a lot when you go shopping or how do you kind of know, determine that? We migrate to that ingredient label and holistically evaluate what I'm eating. So some things need to have salt. So like canned foods, like canned tuna and canned salmon, by the way, baby should be eating um, canned salmon. Canned tuna is a little high in mercury. Canned chicken, canned beans. If you're going to you know, make your own beans from scratch, that's amazing. Let me tell you who doesn't. Monica Oslander Moreno over here. <laughs> no, thank you. You know, a lot of, and like nut butters, those are going to need some salt, right? So 
that that's okay. And even in the tiniest babies, like, you know, the, the earliest eaters, um, you can rinse this the solution of the salt off of your canned goods. And that's okay. I am fine with giving a little bit of lightly sweetened, um, you know, uh, like nut and seed butters to babies. Um, I would prefer like, you know, the unsalted that can be hard to find there. They eat such small amounts and such small portions. And as long as they're adequately hydrated, and that's like their only quote, processed food, which is another weird label um, of the day. Like, I think it's completely fine. When you're cooking, I wouldn't, you know, shake it like a salt shaker, salt bay all over the place. But babies can tolerate, you know, I think more salt than we give them credit for. And it's, it might be more apt to get them to like foods. Because if you've ever had eggs without salt, like, I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bless, bless your heart. But a tiny, tiny little pinch of salt can go very far. Do I read salt on labels? Not particularly because most of the foods that you should be serving anyway are not going to have added salts besides those canned foods like how you know and they're not subsisting solely off of canned salmon and canned beans so you know in the in the typical intake if you're giving oats for breakfast that doesn't have added salt you're getting giving yogurt that doesn't have added salt you're giving fruits and vegetables and you know one serving of canned beans and one serving of canned salmon you should be fine with salt intake if you agree with me oh i completely agree and i'm so glad you're saying this because when i joined instagram there was this whole culture of you can't give babies salt. And I was like, what's going on here? And I think about it, you have to think about it from a common sense perspective, if you believe in evolution, but also just thinking about everyone who's not on social media, okay? Like all the parents who are not on social media in the middle of nowhere, or I'm talking like, let's use India as an example. These families give their children what they eat. They're not creating separate meals. And that's okay. You know, you're giving your child what you eat with the understanding that, okay, if you're home cooking your meals, which is great if you can do that. You are putting the salt in, the seasonings in that you would eat. I want it to be balanced, like you said. I don't want high salt, you know, Cajun style salty food that I once made for my dad. And he was like, what is this? Because I put too much salt in it. But like, you know, I'm not a good cook. But tricky in recipes, you can easily miss it. I go back to that one time I cooked a, a, a Cajun style rice for my dad and I added way too much salt because Cajun seasoning already has salt in it. Um, and so my dad was like, what is this. And I'm like, yeah, we're not eating this. But you have to understand that if you're cooking with moderation and that's what you're doing, salt is okay for your child. Um, you can't sit there. And yeah. And yeah, remember, yeah. remember that it balances out with, um, I could pop quiz you on this, but actually a lot of, a lot of physicians forget it's not just about the salt. It's also about phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, the electrolytes that balance it. So if you're feeding your child things that also have those in them, like fresh, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables and nut and seed butters and beans, that's kind of, I don't, it doesn't really work as, you know, metabolism balancing out the salt, but you know, as far as electrolyte balance goes, I wouldn't be so concerned, like, you know, they're not going to get hypertensive or have kidney damage from, you know, scant amounts of salt. And going on a salt tangent, I think one of the biggest things that people who are, A, you have to watch the salt are saying is that it will make them more accustomed to salty foods. And I actually disagree because no. you're doing everything in rotation, right? I'm not always giving Ryan salted foods. It's a variety. It's just part of the meal. And like you said, I don't even want to eat unsalted egg. And no. especially Indian food, like a lot of Indian food comes with the salt, but it also comes with the turmeric and the cayenne pepper. And again, this is all stuff that can be very helpful to baby. You don't want to give them a five alarm chili 
at seven. <laughs> but Ryan eats spice because we slowly get him accustomed to all this. And I think it really helps, like you said, for them to be a better eater because you do that. You do a little bit of tasteless food. You know, you're not always over flavoring. You're doing the variety so that they understand food comes in all flavors, salty, you know, a little spice is okay. A um, little lemon juice. Like there's different tastes. And I'm going to eat different things. Sometimes mom will give me something that's a little less flavorful, but this is what's for dinner. I'll try it, you know, and that's kind of how they get exposed to the different flavors. Absolutely. And you know what, if they, if they don't like it or they don't want it, we say, I'm sorry, this is what's on the menu tonight. And we're all, I know. and you know, I mean, that's a whole other episode also about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. I say, okay, this is your time in the high chair and we're all sitting here and you can sit with us and, you know, let me know. <laughs> yeah, it works. I mean, I know we're not talking about picky eating, but it's important when we talk about food, we talk about eating like that. The less reaction and the understanding that, hey, you don't have to eat what I give you all the time, but I'm deciding when and what, and you're deciding if and how much, it really helps. Like it, sometimes Ryan eats two bites and sometimes he eats 20 and sometimes he eats more than me and my husband combined. Like it's part of life is intuitive eating and the division of responsibility as a pediatrician. When you, do you lose sleep over, Oh my gosh, I hope they took their medicine. No, you say I did what I can. And I said, I know this medicine, please go to CVS and pick it up. But you don't, you know, like you yeah. do the prescribing and the, and the care and people go home and do what they will. So you got to have a division yeah, of responsibility. Is. But tell me, yeah. Tell me more about the labels you were going to say, go like dive into the labels a little bit more. There's a lot of food law is fascinating and food politics is fascinating. Um, and I think we need more education from that, especially in, among healthcare providers and professionals. I know I certainly do. But now we're, we're, we're undergoing change right now in a couple of ways. Um, number one, the nutrition facts label was updated in 2016 to reflect updated scientific information. It is allegedly easier for consumers to make better and informed choices. I, I do obviously have my, I will reserve my thoughts on that with my British accent. I was supposed to go into a effect by January 1st, 2020. Um, if you had more than 10 million sales, um, I think there was some wiggle room. Now certain products have until July 1st, 2021, but everybody's going to have to comply now. So the serving sizes are supposed to be a little more realistic because if you ever looked at an ice cream serving size, it was a half a cup and like, LOL, who eats half a cup of ice cream? It is ice cream for my 19 pound Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Serving size is also in bolder type. The sizes are supposed to be more realistic. The calories are in larger type. I have mixed feelings about that. The daily values have been updated. And the actual amounts of micronutrients are declared. Um, and we have some that are now required, like potassium and vitamin D, which are very important um, and weren't declared uh, before. Calories from fat has been removed and vitamin A and C are not um, documented anymore because it's very, very rare in this country to have uh, deficiencies of those. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I'd say the biggest thing is that added sugars are declared, but this is a very mixed message and this could get very murky for people because people can say, oh my gosh, no added sugar. This is an amazing product. Well, juice has no added sugar. Some juices like, you know, but they can have far too much sugar. And I do not advocate for juice for children or, you know, virtually everyone who isn't a mixologist, right? So, I mean, you do need it sometimes in your cocktails. So that can be potentially very confusing. And then um, as far as uh, labeling goes, as far as like, I'm also a food allergy mom, you know, there's voluntary labeling of some of the food allergens, notably sesame and notably um, cross-contamination in in facilities. So that's a little concerning, but uh, allegedly now the nutrition facts are more, quote, user-friendly. Although, like I said, I'm very concerned by that added sugar delineation that could potentially be, you know, a green light for some things that really shouldn't be and a red light for other things that really shouldn't be red lighted. That is great to know. So wait, has that already started to come into play or that's going to be rolled out? We'll see that on, 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 it depends on their um, annual revenue or, you know, just their willingness to comply. But by July 1st of this year, it's supposed to be everything, everybody. And I'm sure, you know, there might be a grace period. And of course, with COVID, there's probably going to be a lot more grace. <laughs> but, you know, there's also now delineations about calorie labels in like these chain coffee restaurants and things, which I am not for that actually, which people are surprised about because. I I think it dramatizes and stigmatizes food a little too much. But um, yeah, to answer your question, we should see those labels now and and into the next six months. Wow, that's great to know. I love this. I love being able to connect with you and all my other guests also because I learned so much about, especially the world of nutrition, right? We, how would I ever learn this unless I talk to experts who are heavy into this? It's so great. That's why I have you to text in the middle of the night of what what setting should I put my humidifier on? I love it. I know. I love this. I love this team approach. I'm so. This has been so eye opening, and I know. Um, everyone listening is probably like, oh, wow, good. I'm happy that a pediatrician and dietitian are agreeing about all this kind of stuff with seasoning and whatnot. You know, the common question that we get asked, um, and I know a lot of my followers struggle with, is finding that balance between, I, I put, I'm putting this in quotes, healthy foods, because everyone's like, is this healthy? Am I, is it okay if I get my kids this versus something that's more convenient? And I'm going to use packaged foods as convenient foods, you know, things that you can open up and just give to your kids, like pouches, um, you know, cereal bars, things like that. So how do we balance that? Like, how do you balance that as a mom who's a nutritionist? I kind of like to evaluate. It's really hard to evaluate a certain food. It has to really be in the scope of one's entire intake over a vast amount of time. And we like to say that all foods fit and all bodies are good bodies. So, you know, that said, there are perfectly wonderful things that come in pouches and boxes. I mean, like I do make my own hummus because my child happens to be allergic to sesame. But, you know, before that, I was intending on giving him little single serving, like, packaged hummuses all, all, all the live long day. And as far as pouches, I used those very heavily because I found a company that only does pouches that are just like grass fed meats and vegetables. And he was eating these like little tiny butterfly portions of meats. And I was spending 40 minutes cooking all the meat and the chicken. And it was all going to waste because I couldn't physically get through that amount of meat and chicken. And he would eat like three bites because he was six month old. So, you know, I, I think, you know, pouches and convenience foods have a place 
just, you know, perhaps we could make very informed and 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 flagrant choices. Okay. So the key word, like you said, is balance. There's no such thing as perfect eating, right? Because we see a lot of eating disorder clients, both, you know, unfortunately pediatric and adults, and perfect eating is is orthorexia. So what you can do is equip yourself with the knowledge and the know-how to try to do your best when choosing foods for you and your family, whether or not they whatever package they come in, or if you pluck them straight out of the ground, bugs bunny style. So what that means though is allotting the time to learn, the time to shop and inspect, you know, like I used to the grocery store things or Instacart or wherever using, the time to prepare, the time to serve, the time to clean, and mostly the time to think and get organized. So what I do recommend is, is for people to have these little meal planners on the fridge or in a conspicuous place. And if for older kids, you can allow them to write in requests. And for little kids who, who can't write, you can have photos. And that kind of primes the whole family for this is what we're having this week. And we all have input and say, and it's exciting and fun. So when it when it is going to be a quote, processed food, I've actually already factored that in and planned that in. Okay, we're going to be at the park and it would be really awkward to whip out my short rib right now. He's going to get some fish sticks. However, they are from a very reputable brand. I don't care if they're organic or not, but the only ingredients are, you know, some corn, some oats, some oil, a little seasoning. And I just have to like microwave them and, and throw them in the, in the, in the, the little pouch thing that I, his stasher bag thing The I do, to be fair, I really like being environmentally conscious and bringing um, reusable bags for those snacks. Some days it's going to be my homemade eggless quiche and a, and a lentil soup. So it, it's what works for your family. Obviously, dietitians can help bridge the gap between this fantasy of personal chef-like five-star cuisine and the reality of, you know, what actually happens. But whatever it should be, should be joyous, meaningful, and health-enhancing for your child and for your family. But you do have to sit down and plan, okay? So you should have an arsenal of these backup convenience foods, the pouches, the frozen foods, the nuggets, the stuff that, you know, we all grew up on. I grew up on Ballpark Franks, Hebrew National Salami, Lunch Edibles, Fruit Roll-Ups, you know, like I'm here to tell the tale of survival for sure. But my mom knew, she was like, all right, you have gymnastics this day and this day, so you're going to get Hebrew National Salami in the car. But on the other, you know, three days, I'm because my <laughs> yeah. mom was like me, where she didn't have Excel, but I have my Excel spreadsheets and I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing for the week and I have it organized. And I also think it's very important, you're going to find this hilarious. I'm pregnant and I'm driving with my husband. And when you come visit me in, in, in my suburb of Miami, you'll see that I live close to a, um, a four-way stop. I guess it's called an intersection. And there's four, <laughs> what is wrong with mom brain? There is four, there are four fast food restaurants on each side of the intersection. There is a Taco Bell, a Wendy's, a Domino's, a Papa John's. I think there might be a McDonald's. Yeah. And there's a McDonald's. And I go to my, say to my husband, I'm so excited to take our son here. And he's <laughs> What I mean, now with the allergies, he actually can't. But he goes, why? I go, I want him to have an exposure to all of these things and to denovelize them and show him, you know, <laughs> about all foods. He's also hopefully going to go with us, you know, to France where mommy studied abroad and eat pate. But I want to destigmatize and denovelize all foods for him and focus more on the the sensory and exciting ability and 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 this wonderful blessing we have to be able to eat orally. As you know, not everybody has that luxury. Not all children orally instead of, oh, we would never feed him McDonald's. It's poison, you know? So balance. Yes, you said it right. Balance. But it does require planning, preparation, and cognition, and learning, and understanding. Absolutely. What a great way to put it. And like you said, we're telling the tale of survival, right? Having all these foods growing up. And I think that's an understanding that I hope most parents listening get, is that 
we grew up on a lot of these foods that now maybe we may not always give to our children. Maybe I maybe ate too much of that when I was younger and I probably won't give it to Ryan as much just because I want to balance a little bit more, but I will still give those foods, you know, puff cereals as an example. Someone asked me on my Instagram, do I have to give puff cereals to my child? They seem so processed. And I said, okay, you can give it if you want because it's not harmful, but you don't have to give these foods. It's just something to have. Like you said, a, a food that's easy to go, but don't worry if you don't give it, but don't worry if you do. Um, anything this week. Tell you, you have to home make your own puff cereal. I'm also not here to tell you that you should definitely exactly. buy. I'm here to tell you what works for your family. Let's have a discussion about it. You know, let's have a an open and honest and realistic discussion about it. But as we say in the breastfeeding world, like fed is best. And I would rather have a nourished child than a undernourished one out of fear for glyphosate or something. Right, like right. I mean, your your desire to destigmatize food is so important. I love what you said about the fast food because that is just part of the food that we eat, right? It's okay if you get fast food for yourself, even as adults. It's okay if you get it for your child. It's just part of everything. I'm not okay. In residency, did you have fast food? Of course you did. You were trying to live. And I'm not, you know, I'm not okay. You know, I talked to my family. It's like, I don't want it to be that they do one of something forever, right? I don't want fast food every night. Um, And that's why I want to educate the families on ways to create home-cooked meals that are convenient and easy because that's what we don't want. But we also don't want a family to feel like they have to home-cook everything because that's not sustainable. Like, it's just, we have to balance this. Um, That'll rob you of the joy of parenthood and will ultimately trickle down onto your relationship with food and your child. Exactly. So pursue joy and pursue health, but make it your own. Oh my gosh. I completely agree with this. Like my, the way how I approach it, I definitely started meal planning and I noticed a huge difference in my stress levels when I started meal planning, because I'm not thinking so much, well, do I need to balance this? Well, he already had this two days ago. It has become so easy. Oh my, I started this three weeks ago when my mom and dad left. Um, My mom was helping me with food before, but now it's like so much easier. My nanny doesn't have to ask me like three times, hey, what's he eating? My husband doesn't need to text me at work. Hey, what is he eating today? It's all on a menu on the the fridge. And And it doesn't have to be complicated. Guess what the best, guess what lunch is today? A can of of salmon with an apple. And I I always prioritize giving the foods we're eating. That's, I think, my number one thing. Always prioritize if you're eating something and you can put it into a consistency if your child's a baby, if if you need to break it down and create it in a way that your child can eat it because they don't have, you know, they're not older yet always try to give them what you're eating. I know that's not always possible because sometimes we're not home for lunch. Sometimes we're not eating a full dinner because we, we're not hungry, but always prioritize that. And then when I go shopping, what I do is if I am thinking about something to give, I always look in my normal aisles, like crackers. I don't need to get him child crackers. I can get crackers that I eat and just break them up. Imagine telling like your great grandma in India about child. I know she she'd be like, "Oh, we just gave you what was there." And but it's so important to remember that you do not have to go for that child stuff if you wanted to. Great, but I don't want you to get suckered in thinking that that's what needs that's what kids need to eat, um, including the yogurts. You know, I I keep going back to the yogurt because. I give Ryan Greek yogurt with fresh fruit and it's the best. We, you know, I may start to go to like more packaged yogurts, but he doesn't eat that. He, we just do a yogurt on the go. I mean, I just take something to wipe his face, but we just do it that way. And it works. You can create a convenient lifestyle by still giving a variety of foods that we eat. Um, They don't have to be catered to children. And like Monica said, just balance it out. You know, don't stress yourself out too much of being so, well, if I do this, then someone's going to say this. It's not about that. You just need to feed your kids and come up with that balance of, okay, I'm giving 
some different things in different food groups throughout the week. Like just work, work with it to get something, get different things into them. It's hard. Comparing culture really sucks. It really will rob you of the joy of parenting. And, you know, if you want flavored yogurt, take frozen fruit, which is cheap, microwave it and put it in the plain yogurt. And now you've got like this bleeding, delicious compote oh, I love yogurt it. situation. Oh, Monica, this was such a great episode. I really, really learned so much too. And I think it's just so nice kind of breaking all this down. What would be your final message for everyone listening? I think the ultimate message is again that, you know, feeding your family is an in a health enhancing and joyous, positive, realistic, non-stress adding way is the game here. You know, I I know you guys all grew up on ballpark pranks like I did and lived to tell the tale. So stop waving your non-toxic toothbrushes at me and let's get smart about labels and reject harmful marketing, you know, to kids, even to adults, but also foster happy and joyous relationships to all foods and all bodies in a more neutral way and stop moralizing or shaming people. You know, we have enough to worry about right now. Focus on the who, what, why, where, when, and how of the food and not just the what, how much according to the clock and, you know, enjoy the food. Because like I said, it's a, a sheer blessing to be able to eat. It is. And I, I, that's something my mom instilled on me from a young age, the blessing that food is. And I'm very big on that. And that's carried to me as a pediatrician when I talk about food, because like you said, not everyone is fortunate to be able to eat with their mouth and not a, not everyone is able to have food. Um, and so it's just the, both of those things together we're, we're trying to teach our children about gratitude, but understanding that, you know, this is what nourishes us. This is something that sustains us. And it's something, like you said, that's enjoyable. I want families to love eating. I want children to grow up loving eating in terms of the variety and all the things that comes with it. And when parents get so stressed out about, well, I can't do this, I can't do this. You're right, like you said earlier, that that's going to carry down to them as kids. That's going to carry them to, down to them as how they look at food. And I want them to look at this as a positive thing. Monica, I can't wait to have you on again. I can't wait to see you in person and give you a non-COVID hug. Um, everyone, please follow <laughs> yeah. like Monica on Instagram. Um, and tell me more, your your company, does it cater to everyone outside of Florida or is it only Florida? We can legally see people in the state of Florida and there are some states who have reciprocity. You'd, we'd have to look it up, but generally we can, we can do some virtual work with you. But thank awesome. you so much for having me. This has been so much fun and I am quite inspired to go have some yogurt at this very moment in time. <laughs> I think I will too. Thank you again. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, PedsDocTalkTV. We'll talk to you soon. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. 
I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.